The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Our scripture for this morning is Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. If you're reading from the Black Bible that's at your feet, you will find it on page 785. Will you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Amen. Well, as you just uh, heard a couple uh, uh, times now, um, our study in uh, the book of Psalms is now done. Um, We're moving toward Easter, so we'll be celebrating the resurrection of Christ um, on Easter, and then we're going to be shortly moving uh, after that into uh, the, Paul's letter to, to the Ephesians, and we're going to camp there for the bulk of the year. But until we get up there, what we're going to do over the next several weeks is spend our time together zeroing in on a key idea that we're wanting to push out in front of us to continue to fan the flame of largely what our confession was this morning. What does it look like for us to be people who intentionally confess Jesus? You'll be hearing this phrase a lot. We've heard this phrase some from us, but for these next four weeks, this idea that we're wanting to zero in on is what does it mean to be everyday people who intentionally confess Jesus in everyday life? For the past couple of years within Delta Church, what we've done is we've tried to uh, create a culture, stress an environment of what does it look like for evangelism to be driven by this everyday intentional confessing of Jesus. And you've heard us stress this idea through the question, who's your for? Um, In doing this and asking this question, our aim was to create a culture of gospel intentionality. Uh, The idea was, as we go about our lives, whether it's in our own homes, whether it's in our neighborhoods, whether it's in our workplaces, God has at least placed four people in our sphere of influence who don't know Jesus. And again, in asking that idea of who's your for, the idea was to help us see that not only do we have these people in our lives, people that we love, people that we care for, people that we desire to see, repent, and believe in Jesus, but in asking the question, who's your for, we further wanted you to see that those people are not unreached for Jesus. Because you, a bringer of the gospel, are there in their lives. So it's not just, Jesus, would you save my neighbor? But then to make that further connection of, there is a great possibility that neighbor can come to a saving knowledge of Jesus because I'm their neighbor. 
and I've been saved by Jesus, and I want to confess Jesus to my neighbor so that they would repent and believe in the gospel. So that's what we were aiming for with that idea of asking the question of who's your for. What we're going to do today is further deepen this focus um, for this year and years to come by pressing this idea, pressing this focus on gospel intentionality by moving the question from who's your four down to the question of who's your one. So there's just an intentionality in going from four to one. For some of us, it might have just been this. Man, just as I was thinking to pray, as I was thinking to intentionally invite, intentionally invest, intentionally share Jesus with four people, we just started to recognize, man, like, I just, there's a lot of moving parts, our schedules are busy, that kind of thing. So what we're wanting to do is say, hey, out of those four that maybe you've been praying for, out of those four that maybe have transitioned over the years and the months, to begin to pray like this, God, would you give me one person that doesn't know Jesus so that I can be used by you to con- confess Jesus and then intentionally walk with that person to help move them down the continuum of unbelief to belief. God, would you give me one? Who is the one living God that will be reached for Jesus because I am in their life? There's something innately woven into that shift from four to one and that something that's innately woven is the concept of being intentional, the concept of being intentional. So to be a church that intentionally confesses Jesus in everyday life, we want to champion this biblical concept of intentionally pursuing one. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see that Jesus did this a lot. Intentionally saw the importance of that one person that was right there in front of him and took the time and did what was necessary in order to be a confessor of Jesus himself, the good news that he is the Savior who saves sinners to that person. Throughout the Bible, you just see it, especially in the Gospels and even beyond, I would argue, in the book of Acts, Jesus consistently and the disciples who followed after him consistently modeled the importance of one. And my desire for Delta is that we would fight to model ourselves upon the example of the Savior who has saved us, if we can say Jesus has saved me. So for this reason, this is why over the next couple of weeks, we're beginning today a sermon series titled, Who's Your One? Now, you might be asking yourself, really? I mean, really, man, are we going to do this again? Like, we, we touch on this often. Um, we, we talk about this in our pastoral prayer time on any given Sunday. We talk about this during our exhortation time at the end of the service. We pray for it regularly during our pastoral prayer. If you're in community groups, we talk about this in our community groups. For the past couple of years, this iteration of sermon series has manifested itself in the heart of making disciples and the heart of maturing disciples, sermon series we've done. So this isn't something brand new, but you might be asking yourself, like, well, why? Well, why again are we really going to hear another sermon series on confessing Jesus again? Why do we need to have this emphasis on intentionality again? Now, these are great questions. And questions I'm hoping you're asking, why do we need to be encouraged with this idea again? And the answer to these questions is simply because Jesus is the king and he's called us to this. Some of the most famous words spoken by Jesus are known as the Great Commission. 
And the Great Commission is found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And in these verses, Jesus explains the purpose of a disciple. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. And Jesus says, this is post-resurrection Jesus at the end of Matthew 28. He's just defeated death. He's living soon to ascend back into heaven. He looks at the remaining 11 disciples and says, hey, guys, you need to know this. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And it's like, really? The guy who just came back from the dead, all authority has been given to you? And it's like, yes, he's proven. All authority has been given to him. If this is somebody who is life himself, he cannot die because life cannot die. He has just proven that by resurrecting from the dead. And he says, listen, I'm the king. I'm ruling and reigning. I'm about to send to heaven. How will the forward march of the gospel spread through you? You need to know you're going to go out. I'm commanding you go out in my authority and then you hear those most famous words of the great commission where he says go and make disciples that is the purpose of a disciple disciples are called to make disciples but the unfortunate truth is that we are prone to wander from the plumb line of this command because life happens our zeal for the lost as many of us could testify to it is prone to grow cold Therefore, what I'm wanting these next several weeks to be, and just honestly, anytime we talk about this as a church, is I want these next several weeks to be like a set of billows that fans into flame a zeal for intentionally confessing Jesus. So don't hear this like, hey, we're doing the sermon series again because Pastor John thinks you guys all stink at this and no one is doing, doing what I'm talking about. That is not the message that is being conveyed. There are many of us here who are excellent examples of what it means to intentionally confess the victory of Jesus, intentionally confess the gospel of Jesus in everyday life. You're confessing the gospel of Jesus at work. You're confessing the gospel of Jesus in your neighborhood. You're confessing the gospel of Jesus in your homes. So think about a set of billows, right? If you've seen any old movies like where there's a, there's a fire in the fireplace going and it's that little, like right, you, you pump it together and it's got that little nozzle and you're trying to shoot oxygen onto that fire to just get, to, to blow it up into like a raging, raging fire. So some of us are here as sort of like little embers in the fireplace and you've already been, been lit on fire for this idea. Don't let this sermon series come to you and be like oh again let it be like air that's being blown on you to fan into flame a further zeal for the work that Jesus is already doing within you now some of us are like lumps of coal inside the fireplace and we're just not sort of lit by this thing not trying to call you a lump of coal by the way just trying to keep the illustration going here um And what we're hoping is that as we touch on this again and we continue to submit ourselves to the scriptures, as we continue to exhort one another to radical obedience to the call of the king, that having spent four weeks talking about, yes, this idea again, God would do a work within us and fan into flame a zeal to be everyday people who intentionally confess Jesus at work, in our neighborhoods, and in our homes okay so turning to mark chapter 1 verses 14 through 20 let's ask the question what does mark the writer of this gospel want us to see what's the main idea of our text this morning and it's going to be this 
that disciples are called to be followers of Jesus who fish for men. Disciples are called to be followers of Jesus who fish for men. Or to put it another way, disciples are called to be followers who witness. My aim this morning in this little four-part sermon series is to simply try to establish a truth in front of you guys. And it's this. The idea that our gospel identity of follower is intimately connected to our gospel identity of being a witness. When we repent and believe in the gospel as Jesus is going to command us here in verse, verses 14 and 15, we are changed in a myriad of ways. At least one change is we are no longer who we once were. Our identity changes. And at Delta, what we want to establish and just begin to put out in front of you and give definition to is what are those identities? There are at least two identities that come and begin to define us as a result of repenting and believing the gospel. The identity is, I am now a follower, and I am now a witness, and those things aren't separate. Jesus is going to say here, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Following and fishing, following and witnessing are intimately and intricately connected together when Jesus issues the call of discipleship as a result of repenting and believing in the gospel. So the simple idea we're trying to establish this morning is this idea. If you are a follower of Jesus today, if you are born again, if you have repented and believed, if you have been saved, if you are a genuine Christian, all synonymous ideas the Bible talks about from someone who was no longer spiritually dead but now spiritually alive, you have gospel identity. Namely, follower Fisher, and we just want to ground our next coming weeks on that idea. That's what Jesus is going to talk about in these verses in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. So, who we are and what we do flow out of the gospel of God. Who we are, our identity, and what we do as a result of who we are flow out of the gospel of God. And that's the first point you see there in verses 14 and 15. So look in your copy of Scripture Look at verse 14, and you see that this is exactly where Jesus begins when he says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. Notice what he's proclaiming. He's proclaiming the gospel of God. What is the content? What is the message of, of this proclamation of Jesus? I love Mark's gospel for this because he sums up this whole thing we know as the gospel in this sentence here. Jesus showed up on the scene saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, here's the command, repent and believe in the gospel. So as Jesus begins his public ministry, he does so by proclaiming the gospel of God. Now, you should probably ask yourself this, this, this question, what does the word gospel mean? If we're not careful, we can make assumptions on what we think the gospel means what's the basic essence the idea behind that word and it's this the word gospel is a word that just simply means good news good news that is meant to bring great joy to someone so when jesus comes proclaiming the gospel of god you can you can translate that phrase into saying that jesus showed up proclaiming the good news of god good news of god that is meant to bring you great joy he is making an announcement 
that God has really good news for you. Now the question becomes, well, what is the content of this good news? What is the content of this gospel? And you see it right there in verse 15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So if you're thinking to yourselves, well, what is that supposed to mean? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. This is homework for you, but travel back in time about four or five weeks now to Psalm chapter 2. Do you remember when we preached Psalm chapter 2? We said it was a messianic psalm. And there were three people that showed up in that um, language that the psalmist was using to describe one person. The psalmist was saying that there is Yahweh and his anointed one. We said anointed one is the word Messiah. It's also the word Christ. This anointed messianic Christ is also the king. This messianic king is also the son. So your homework is if you go and you read Mark chapter 1 verse 1 down to verse 13, Mark is picking up all over on those things. He says this is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he's the anointed one. You get down to his baptism, Jesus comes up out of the water, and what does God say? You are my beloved son. And now you have Jesus, the anointed kingly son, saying the time is fulfilled. Everything that was pointing forward to this anointed kingly son showing up on the scene, making a way for sinners to be drawn into the kingdom of God, to have a right relationship with God, to be saved from their sins, to have eternal life. It's now because I'm on the scene. This is God's good news for you. Life with God is now available as a result of his kingly rule. And the good news of this gospel is that it is possible for sinners separated from God to find citizenship in this kingdom. Therefore, commands Jesus, respond. You see, it's not just enough to say, yeah, I mentally give assent to this idea. But there's to be a response to this good news. And that's what Jesus says there when he says, repent and believe in the gospel. This is the called for, commanded for response of the king. You see, the reality of all humanity is that no one is good enough to earn their citizenship in God's kingdom. Instead, the good news of God is that citizenship in his kingdom is available to us for free by declaration of King Jesus. Listen, what God demands... For entrance into his kingdom has been provided on the basis of what King Jesus did on the cross. And since this is true, Jesus says, repent and believe. The idea behind that word repent is turning from something. And the idea behind that word believe is turning to something. So to repent and believe is to turn from and to turn to. Turn from and turn to. Turn from sin and turn to the Messiah King who saves. Turn from your rebellion to the kingship of Jesus and turn to him in complete happy submission to his kingship. Again, the Old Testament concept of Psalm 2 is rising up to the surface here. Remember verse 12 of Psalm chapter 2? What is the obvious called for response of the psalmist in light of the coming anointed kingly son? Kiss the son. Do you remember us talking about that? What did we say the idea was behind that, that little phrase, kiss the son, submission. 
Come, bow yourself before him and say, you are the king, I am not the king. I've tried to rule and reign on the throne of my heart and it's led me down the wide path of destruction and to hell. But I am coming before you saying, no, 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 I don't need to rule on the king of my heart. Death will be the result of my kingly rule of my heart. I need life and life is in you and I am repenting of my self-proclaimed little rebellion and I am happily submitting myself to you. This is how sinners, repenting and believing, listen, this is how sinners are saved from the judgment to come. This is how sinners are made right with God, repenting and believing in this good news of God is how spiritual death becomes spiritual life and a person becomes a Christian. Friends, listen to me. The defining mark of a genuine Christian, the defining mark of a born-again Christian is a person who is marked by repentance and belief. In Acts chapter 20, Paul uses this language to describe the message of the gospel he was preaching to the Ephesian elders. And he says we are to be marked by repentance toward God and belief or faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Gospel belief is what defines a true Christian, if there's no repentance, no belief in your life, the Bible clearly and lovingly says you are not a Christian. But listen to the gospel of God according to the proclamation of the king. He says you can repent and believe in the gospel today. This was the call of Paul and Silas to the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16. Do you guys remember that story, Acts chapter 16, Paul, Silas imprisoned? Singing songs, no doubt in my mind that they're talking about the gospel, talking about Christ. They're rejoicing in a situation that gave them, would give them every cause to not rejoice Something miraculous happens, and what happens is the Philippian jailer who was in charge of Paul and Silas comes to the point as a result of seeing these things and hearing all these things. Do you remember the question he asked them? He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now notice what Paul does not say, and Silas doesn't say. He doesn't say, well, here's what you need to do to be saved. Go to church. Here's what you need to do to be saved. Clean yourself up. Here's what you need to be saved. Go live a moral life. You've probably been a crook of a jailer. Stop beating people and start just doing some good things, and then you will earn a right standing with God. He doesn't say, man, I know you've done some sinful things, so clean yourself up, make yourself right, shine yourself up, and go present yourself to God. He's like, no, no, no. He, he doesn't, they don't respond that way. The Philippian jailer says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the response of Paul and Silas is this. Here's what you must do to be saved. Believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe what? Believe with the Holy Spirit 
that when he convicts us of sin, when he convicts us of righteousness, when he convicts us of judgment, that these things are true. In John chapter 16, Jesus says, it's for my good that I go because the helper, the Holy Spirit, will come. And the ministry, the work of the Holy Spirit is he will convict and convince people of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He will convict you, I am a sinner. All those people out there were prone to go, they're bad, they're, they're the ones who are messed up. But when we look in the mirror, apart from the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, we tend to go, that guy in the mirror is really, really good. Until the Holy Spirit shows up and says, no, you aren't really good. You are a sinner, separated from God. Then the Holy Spirit begins to convict us. The reason why I wasn't seeing my sin is because of this whole idea behind righteousness or that word of rightness. I didn't, one, give a rip about not being right with God, but then even if I was sort of remotely caring about being right with God, most of us, apart from the work of God in our hearts, tend to think we can make ourselves right with God until the Holy Spirit shows up and convicts us. You can't make yourself right with God. What you need is Jesus to make yourself right with God because then the Holy Spirit convicts us of this idea of judgment to where now that I see I'm a sinner and I see I'm not right with God, if I stand before God in judgment as a sinner not right with God, hell and damnation and wrath is what I deserve and I will get. So when Jesus says repent and believe, he says believe when the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But is it really just believe? One of the best conversations I've probably had as a pastor to date is a conversation I had recently where someone asked me this question. Is it really just that simple? Believe? Can it be that easy? The answer of the Bible is yes, it can, and Yes, it is that simple. So what this means is that if you are here this morning guilty of sin before God, guilty of sexual immorality, guilty of idolatry, guilty of adultery, guilty of homosexuality, theft, guilty of greed, guilty of drunkenness, guilty of reviling God, guilty of swindling others, the good news of the gospel of God, the call to repent and believe, is this. You can stop trying to clean yourself up in order to get right with God. One, you can't do it. You can't do it. Instead, the good news of the gospel of God is that you can repent and you can believe in the one who gave his life on the cross and resurrected from the dead so that you could be saved. When the Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas say, repent, believe in the Lord Jesus. That belief is this, I can do nothing to make myself right. My belief is me casting everything on the one who died and resurrected from the dead to make me right with God. My only hope of life with God is Jesus, period. That is gospel belief. And that is what defines a true genuine Christian. So, repent and believe in the gospel. This is the gospel of God. Now, now that Mark has established this content of Jesus' message, 
He wants us to see that this message, when you repent and believe in this message, you don't walk away like you used to be. You walk away having been radically changed. Your life will be altered in a dramatic way. To repent and believe in the gospel message means that your life will look different. And for those who repent and believe in the gospel, they now have the call to follow and fish. You've got a new gospel identity that means something for you. And that's what you see in verses 16 through 20, the call to follow and fish. Or as we said earlier, these people who repent and believe have the call to be followers who witness. The king has come to gather people into his kingdom. And for those who repent and believe in the gospel, they too have the same call now placed upon their lives. So if you're here this morning and you can say, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I have repented, I have believed in the gospel, then what Jesus is saying too in these verses, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, is now also true of you. You are a follower, you are a witness, a follower and a fisher of men. So look at how this takes place in the lives of Simon, Andrew, James, and John. By the way, Simon here is Peter. Okay, You get that explained in Matthew chapter 4. So when you read Simon, it's Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Notice this first. How does this call to follow and fish play out in their lives? First, Jesus sees them. Look at verse 16 in your copy of Scripture. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee. Do you see there verse 16? He saw Saul, Simon, and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting it into the sea. They were fishermen. Verse 19. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. I think the simple observational fact that we can draw from this is just to notice that Jesus finds these four men where they were. Jesus went to them. He was cruising by the Sea of Galilee where he knew that these guys were working. If you go into John chapter 1 and you stitch these two accounts together, what you begin to see is that this isn't necessarily the first encounter that Jesus has had with them. They've been learning and getting little tidbits of this person Jesus explained to them. And now Jesus is going to call people to himself and he goes to where they are and says, Guys, it's time to cut it off. It's time to come and follow me. And he begins this reality by just first noticing these people around him. Jesus noticed others and sought them. Second is this idea of Jesus calling. Jesus calls. You see this in verse 17 and verse 20. Verse 17, the call is just uber crisp, very clear. Follow me, he says, and I will make you become fishers of men. The call on a disciple involves the command to follow Jesus. There's no prerequisite to following him. This is simply a call of grace from the king of grace. But notice the call on a disciple also involves that promise of Jesus. I will make you become fishers of men. Separated from God by their sin, men and women will face the judgment of God and receive the just penalty for their sin. But the good news of God's gospel is that men and women can be delivered from the judgment to come if they repent and believe in the gospel. So this is what fishers of men do. 
in response to the saving call of Jesus on their life, they go out and call others to respond to the saving call of Jesus. And then it just continues to go on out from there. Say you go fishing, to use this language, and someone comes to the place where, by the work of God in them, they have their eyes and their heart open. They go, yes, I repent and I believe. And if they were to ask you, well, what do I do now? It's like, well, go fishing for some others. And then that's just how the, the line of discipleship has continued from this moment in Mark 1 to where you and I are today in some way, shape, or form. Somebody went fishing. Somebody confessed. Somebody sought you. Somebody shared Jesus. The Holy Spirit worked, convicted you of sin, righteousness, and judgment, led you to the place to repent and believe. And now the question is, what am I supposed to do? Follow Jesus and go fishing for some men. That is what we see the call of Jesus to be about. And then third, notice in verse 18 and 20 that the people respond. Simon, Andrew, James, and John respond. If you remember when we preached through Mark's gospel, one of Mark's favorite words is the word immediately. Like everything is immediately happening. He's like immediately this, immediately that. What you sort of get this sense in Mark's gospel is like you're just sprinting all the way through the gospel because you're immediately you're here, immediately you're doing this, that kind of thing. And notice how he emphasizes the immediacy of responding to the call. Jesus says, follow me, fish for men. Verse 18, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. Down in verse 20, he went on a little bit further. Jesus calls James and John, follow me, fish for men. Immediately, they leave their father in the boat with the hired servants and they follow him. What we learn in the response of Simon, Peter, James, and John for ourselves is that immediacy is the proper response to the call of the king. Immediate, radical obedience to the king is the proper response to the king. So what can we take away from these verses as it relates to us being everyday people who intentionally confess Jesus in everyday life? So we see this played out in the lives of these four men. Let's pull it forward to March 2020. We're all going to walk out these doors. We're all going to go our separate ways. I would dare say we are everyday people who live everyday life. All of us have a place of work. All of us have a place of home. All of us have a neighborhood we live in. So what can we take away as it relates to being men and women who intentionally confess Jesus in these places? And I would say there's at least two key takeaways. The first one is this. You and I have a gospel identity of follower if you have repented and believed in the gospel. You see, what I love about these verses is that Jesus establishes the link between believing in the gospel and being a follower. When we repent and believe in the gospel, we become followers who desire to be near Jesus and to become like Jesus. So what is a follower of Jesus? At Delta, what you need to know is we sought to define this idea by saying a follower is someone who abides in Jesus through the word and prayer. So when Jesus saves you and there is this response to the call, follow me, the question is, well, what does that mean for me? Well, we would say it looks like this. To follow Jesus as a response to the gospel call is to abide in Jesus through the word of God and to abide in Jesus through prayer. Well, where do you get that from? I'm getting that from John chapter 15 do you remember when our Upper Room Discourse sermon series from several 
several months ago. You come to John chapter 15. Jesus is explaining to the disciples why it is good for me to go. But here's the good news. Even though I go, you can still abide in me. He says, listen, famous verses. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, it's like, I don't want to be one of those branches that bears no fruit, doing nothing because I'm not abiding. So the question is, well, Jesus, what do you mean by abiding? Praise God that two verses later, he tells us. John 15, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, there's the word, here comes prayer, Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So abiding looks like getting into the word and abiding looks like the word getting into you. Abiding looks like you praying and abiding looks like pouring out your soul to God as you lay your requests before him, your petitions before him. The second key takeaway is this, that if you have repented and believed in the gospel, you and I have a gospel identity of witness. Again, Jesus is just making another link here in these verses, is my argument. Only this time, he establishes the link between believing in the gospel and being a witness, or that, that idea of being a fisher of men. When we repent and believe in the gospel, we also become a witness of Jesus, sent by Jesus to confess the gospel we believe. You see it again in John 17 in the Upper Room Discourse. I think you see it right here, just bold-faced right there in black and white. So what is a witness of Jesus? Again, at Delta, what you need to know is we define a witness as someone who confesses the gospel of Jesus in everyday life. So it's just wherever you find yourself. Home, neighborhood, work, work, neighborhood, home. Think about that little ebb and flow of our day-to-day lives. Isn't that Is it just me? Does that just define most of our lives? You wake up in your home, you drive out of your neighborhood, you go to work, you leave work, drive in your neighborhood, go into your home. Home, neighborhood, work, work, neighborhood, home. Home, neighborhood, work, like right that. And so that's not, I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying these seem to be the spheres of life that God has created that tend to encapsulate just what normal, average, everyday life looks like. Most of us say this, well, I'm going to wait to go on that mission trip. I'm going to wait and to go somewhere that's out beyond the normal sphere of life so that I can go and be a witness, give testimony to the saving work of Jesus in those areas. And that is good, and that is right, and that needs to be done. But the reality is, in the average, everyday ebb and flow of home, neighborhood, work, work, neighborhood, home, Jesus says, you are a follower who fishes for men. So it just starts looking like this, asking the question, God, is there one person in my home that doesn't know Jesus? For some of us who have kids, the answer is yes, if they haven't repented and believed in Jesus. Some of us have roommates. It's asking the question, is my roommate maybe that one? Praise God, maybe in the sphere of your home, everybody can clearly say we repent and have believed in the gospel. Well, you have a a neighborhood, don't you? So maybe it's asking the Holy Spirit, would you make it clear, is there one person in my neighborhood who I can begin to walk along beside so I can help disciple them down the road from unbelief to belief? One person. Just one person. In your workplace, the same thing. 
I think that is probably one of the biggest spheres of our lives where we are surrounded by people who don't know Jesus. Have you just ever asked Jesus, the 20, 30, 100, 10, 5 people that you work with, Jesus, is there one person here that we can eventually pray for, hope for, that they will no longer be able to say, I'm unreached for Jesus, but they could be able to say, I have been reached for Jesus because that one Christian in my workplace shared Jesus with me, called me to repent and believe in the gospel. Have you just ever asked Jesus that question? Will you give me one? Who's the one? Have you ever just been on bed at, in, at night asking Jesus less question, more petition? Give me one. Give me one. Give me one person that I can reach for Jesus. Give me one person that I can confess the gospel to. Give me one person to where our just schedules would align to where whether it's a morning coffee, an afternoon lunch, a nighttime hangout, a Saturday morning, maybe it's our neighbors and our kids play together and so it's you and the other parents or whatever it is. There's so many different ways this could work itself out, but have you ever just prayed, God, give me one I can reach for Jesus? See, I think most of us probably don't because we understand that that's a prayer that Jesus will answer. And when Jesus says, yes, I will give you one, and his name and her name is this, all of a sudden now it looks like, am I going to march forward in radical obedience to the call to go fishing for the soul of that man or that woman? And so most of us, what do we do? We reel it in. We don't necessarily ask. We just sort of hope that we traipse along through life and in some of those moments where we just get a chance to maybe to bear witness to Jesus in that way, that those moments come, but none of us are, again, this is the key word, intentionally fishing. Praise God for those accidental fishing moments, yeah? Praise God. I am not denigrating those accidental fishing moments where you're just sort of doing your thing, then all the Holy Spirit says, you need to open your mouth now to person X. And you do it, and they respond, or they do it, and that alters their trajectory to where somewhere down the line they repent and they believe. God works in those ways. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that those things are bad. What I am saying is this. I think the more consistent model of the New Testament is this. Be intentional with your fishing. Be intentional with your witnessing. So at Delta, think about this. This idea of gospel identity as follower and witness, this is just part of how we define a healthy, maturing disciple of Jesus is someone who follows and someone who fishes, who bears witness. Saved by grace, a disciple realizes they are bought with a price and no longer their own. And as such, they have a new identity in Christ. By decree of the king, you are now a follower and you are now a witness who abides in Jesus as you intentionally confess Jesus in everyday life. Just listen to the call of the king. Follow me. Are you following Jesus? Are you following Jesus? Have you followed him? first off in repentance and belief? Are you trying to clean yourself up right now? Listen, every one of us know here, I've I'm, I'm just got a measure of, of guess here, that we have committed sin against God. 
But what we're so prone to do is to go try to clean ourselves up to make ourselves right with God. Jesus says, stop trying to clean yourself up. Come to me. Follow me. Believe and be saved. Are you following Jesus in that way? Are you following Jesus in word and in prayer? Some of you might say, yes, we'll praise God for that grace. Some of us might need help. I'm not quite sure how to do that. We've got a way and we've got plans and we've got strategies to be able to help you mature as a follower so that your gospel identity as a follower can move down the road from belief into maturity. Or how about this question here? Are you intentionally fishing for men? Are you intentionally bearing witness to Jesus? Now, I understand the implication of that question can come with a load of guilt, and I am not trying to guilt anybody here. I am not trying to guilt anybody here. I'm just trying to be faithful, too. If I see Jesus over here saying, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, I'm just asking the question, what does it look like? And maybe this is the prayer for you, and this is how we're going to pray here like in 30 seconds. Maybe this is the prayer for you. God, it is no doubt in my mind that I'm supposed to be a fisher of men. It's just here point blank in the text. So maybe the question for you to pray through right now in this time of response is going to be this. God, will you show me how to go fishing for one person in my life? I'm not sure what it looks like, but I know I need to. Will you please show me and help me? Are you following? Are you fishing? Have you repented and believed in the gospel? May God move in this time of response to make things clear for us, okay? Let's pray. Jesus, help us in these things. Help us to just be further deepened in our understanding of the scriptures. Help us to ask hard questions of our lives in our pursuit of you. Um, Thank you for your grace. (laughs) Thank you for your patience towards us when we uh, aren't necessarily uh, following as we ought to follow. God, thank you that we can come to you and confess to you hey, I, Jesus, I haven't been following as I ought to, and what we'll find is the gracious, loving, welcoming arms of our Savior. Thank you for that, Jesus. Same when it comes to fishing for men. God, thank you. Thank you, thank you for your grace and your patience with us, your people, when we um, stray from that command to fish for men, when our zeal of our hearts grows cold when it comes to fishing for men. God, by your grace, would you help us see that one that you've placed in our, in our lives so that we can faithfully follow you and fish for them? Father, here someone needs to repent and believe. I've just got no doubt in my mind that there's someone here trying to clean themselves up as a result of sinful, poor decisions made. And I am begging, Holy Spirit, that you would convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment so that they would see they don't have to clean themselves up. They can't clean themselves up. What they must do, a la the Philippian jailer, is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they can and will be saved. God, do this work in us. Do this work among us always and forever for your glory and the fame of your great name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.